One of my favorite things growing up as a kid was riding around in my grandfather's cab. My grandfather, Jack Anderson, was a cab driver in Baltimore, and one of my favorite childhood memories is driving around with him to the gas station, the grocery store, downtown, wherever he was going, it didn't matter. I was always up for a drive. This is one of my all-time favorite pictures of my grandfather holding my sister Christy, and I'm standing next to him, next to his cab. I often wonder if I called that phone number, who would answer? (laughs) My poppy's cab was the place to be. It had the huge sofa-sized back seat like cars used to have, covered in smooth black vinyl that you could slide around on. It had the manual window cranks to get the windows down and up. Seatbelts were optional at that time, of course. Poppy knew every street in Baltimore and its suburbs. He knew all the ways to get from here to there. Traffic jams, accidents, Orioles games letting out, rush hour was no problem for my grandfather. He was a human global positioning system. There was always something comforting and reassuring about riding around with Poppy because Poppy always knew the way home, whether we were winding through the neighborhood just out for a drive or returning from a road trip visiting family from out of state. With my grandfather, you always knew that you would get home. Home. It feels like we are longing for home these days. Perhaps what we nostalgically remember is better days, but not just a better past, but a better present and a way that leads home, the way that leads us back to our best and truest selves, that leads to our neighbors, to peace and mercy and unity and understanding and kindness. These are, I think, all part of a deep longing for home. As it was for those in our scripture readings this morning, the journey can seem long and the path unclear, uneven, and uncertain. This is always part of the character of this Advent season, the longing, the waiting, the watching, the hoping, but it feels especially heightened in this year's edition of Advent, doesn't it? And just as he did in the wilderness around the Jordan River, so John the Baptist appears again this Sunday in the world's spiritual wilderness, proclaiming, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low, the crooked straight and rough ways smooth. But instead of driving a cab clothed with a flannel shirt and polyester pants, John comes to us wearing camel's hair and a leather belt and baptizing people in the Jordan River. John is getting us ready for Jesus. But when the gospel writer Luke writes about him making the path straight, quoting the prophet Isaiah, he has something else in mind too. He's evoking an earlier event from the Hebrew Scriptures, the Babylonian exile. The Babylonian exile happened in the 6th century B.C. And it was the forced detention of Jews in Babylonia following the Babylonian conquest of the kingdom of Judea and Jerusalem, and ended when Cyrus of Persia conquered Babylonia and set the Jews free to return home. In the exile, the best and the brightest of Jerusalem and Judea were carried off to Babylon for 60 years. That's 50% longer than the Israelites wandered in the desert under Moses following the Exodus. But at least those Israelites were in the desert together, 
Here in the exile, families and friends were separated. Many never saw each other again. Exile, I think, takes on many forms. Political, religious, spiritual, familial. Exile can be self-chosen. It can be self-imposed. It can be enforced upon us. In the end, I think, and at its heart, though, exile is a longing for home. Luke places John the Baptist's work and call in the context of another kind of exile, Israel's internal exile to the Roman Empire, which had dominated and oppressed them. That's what all those names that neither of us could pronounce of those rulers and priests at the start of our gospel reading were all about. They were setting the context for John's message. So John is ministering and baptizing in the shadow of an empire in a time of great doubt and great fear. And so John the Baptist appears and speaks to a time much like our own and heralds the coming of Jesus, God's own Son, born into a world just like this, a time just like this, a time of exile, a time of longing for home. Now, this past Thursday night, uh, Jenny and I went to a concert by one of our favorite bands called Over the Rhine. It's a husband and wife duo who actually wrote Redemption Song, which our band sometimes sings. Um, And it was a Christmas concert based on the three Christmas albums that they've released. Uh, And they describe their Christmas albums and music as falling within the genre of reality Christmas. Music that captures all the tensions and complexities and the joys and the hopes of the season and our lives and our neighborhoods and the world. Linford, who is the husband in the duo, told the story during the concert about how one Christmas time early on in their relationship, he went uh, to visit his future mother-in-law and stayed over at her house. And so uh, when he came into the house, he was shown to his room, which was the guest room. And he said, as I came into the guest room, I noticed there was something um, uh, unusual there in, in the middle of the room. It, it was the kitty litter, which uh, nobody was in any hurry to move. <laughs> So there it stayed as he stayed at the house, and he said, I guess I figured I should leave the door cracked so the cats could get in and out during the night, uh, which he did, and then when he woke up in the morning, he looked down at his suitcase and realized the cat had mistaken the suitcase for the kitty litter. Reality Christmas. I'm sure we could all tell stories like that. Well, one of the songs on their new Christmas album that Jenny and I both like the best is a song called First Snowfall. And it's about the over-the-Rhine neighborhood in Cincinnati, which is where they got their start and uh, after which they are named. And it captures the juxtaposition of this season. And I just want to read you some of the lyrics. They sing, The Christmas decorations look ragged and rusty. The neon sign flickers on the Cinderblock Tavern by the Salvation Army and the Plumber Supply. The old downtown mission has John 316 painted in all capital letters above cans full of trash but the pain is all peeling. Broken glass on the sidewalk glitters like chandeliers somebody smashed. And my soul feels as empty as a brown paper bag, the drained bottle inside it bought with bum change. I'm so far from home and all that's familiar. Every prodigal knows how this story goes. I was just running from what's too dark to mention or were angels escorting me? God only knows. Then it's like an angel starts singing an old gospel song in that part of town where no angel belongs. But what is this music that falls on my ear? It's the very first snowfall of a very long year. 
I love that image of John 3.16 and peeling paint over the garbage outside the mission and the much-needed peace that the first snowfall brings to a tired world, a snowfall that echoes the sound of angels singing. It captures the struggle and the hope of the season and shows us that these two things are not mutually exclusive, not separate, not one or the other, but woven together in the fabric of our streets and in our lives. And I'm okay with this kind of reality Christmas because it feels real and honest and authentic for this moment and to the Christmas story itself where the most holy moment of Jesus' birth happens in a lowly stable because they wouldn't welcome his pregnant mother in the inn. I have to say that I've been listening to a lot of the Over the Rhine Christmas music and tons of other Christmas music already this year and earlier than usual because I need to be reminded this year and reassured over and over again that this child born in Bethlehem who came to save a broken world will do it once again. Where Jesus comes again and again to us to end our exile, our banishments, our separations, our alienations and polarizations, to heal our fear and anger and suspicion, our despair, disappointments and depressions. You know, our culture's expectations for happiness are so ridiculously high, especially around the holidays. And so those feelings that we have that maybe something is wrong, something is missing in us or the world becomes ever more heightened this time of year. I just finished reading a novel called Americana, uh, in which the main character is a Nigerian woman who comes to America from Nigeria, and she has all these observations about the many cultural differences between the two countries. But one of them, she said, was that she noticed that Americans say excited all the time. We are excited for this. We are excited for that. And she points out in her own gentle way, that level of excitement is impossible (laughs) and, and unrealistic. And I think oftentimes, rather than excited, we'd settle for just feeling safe and back at home in the world. Now, if you were thinking to yourself during the first reading this morning, Baruch, that's in the Bible, (laughs) you're in good company. Baruch is a small, small book, and it appears in the Apocrypha, which is the group of books that didn't quite make the cut for the Old Testament or the New Testament, but was felt to have benefits to believers to read. Uh, And it's one of the alternate readings for our lectionary this Sunday. And the author, Baruch, who the book is named after, was actually a friend and a scribe for the prophet Jeremiah. And he is writing from exile in Babylon back to the priests and to the people in Jerusalem. And so Baruch is one of those who is carted off from Jerusalem and in exile. And what I found remarkable about this reading in this book is that he's the one that has been shipped off, and yet he is the one writing back to everyone, uh, sharing comfort with them, and beautifully so. He says, Arise, O Jerusalem, stand upon the height, look toward the east. That's where the Israelites were exiled. Look toward the east and see your children gathered from west and east at the word of the Holy One, rejoicing that God has remembered them. For they went out from you on foot, led away by your enemies, but God will bring them back to you, carried in glory. Like John the Baptist, more than 500 years later, Baruch reassures his audience that God will make a way out of what seems impossible. 
And Baruch in this book has a three-part advice for those who are exiled back home, and I think it's good advice for us this morning. First, he tells them to take courage. Second, he says to look. And third, he says, arise. Take courage, look, and arise. Take courage, he says, O Jerusalem, for the ones who named you will comfort you. Take courage, for the God who claimed us and named us in baptism will comfort us and enlist us to love the world back into wholeness. We are not victims alone. We have the power to change our lives and to change the world through love. Look, he says, look toward the east, O Jerusalem, and see that joy is coming to you from God. Look for joy. Look for goodness in the world. Look for signs of resurrection. You know, on Friday, um, I went over to the Maddie Dixon food cupboard because Jenny and I had adopted two kids that that weren't going to have Christmas presents this year uh, unless people donated. And so we went shopping with the kids, and we wrapped them up, and we, we dropped them off over at Maddie Dixon, and I ran into the director there, and I said, so... So how many kids, you know, are part of this program? How many kids did you get presents for this year? She said, 300 kids. 300 kids. And she said, the interest was so great that we ran out of kids to help. And so we asked people to get presents for senior citizens who needed something. And that gave me so much hope. Such a dark week in the world. But that gave me so much hope. There's so much goodness in the world, but we have to look. And third, he says, arise, stand upon the height and look toward the east. Arise and stand up for love and hope. Make a way, a way that will certainly be imperfect, but a way. Because the way, Jesus, is coming. Jesus is the way that leads us home. The way that leads us back to our best and truest selves. The way that leads our hearts to peace and away from fear and violence and hate. Like my grandfather, Jesus always knows the way home. And Jesus is coming. So get ready. Open your hearts, ready to receive him and share the love we receive back with the world. Finally, Baruch tells us, take off the garment of your sorrow and affliction and put on forever the beauty of the glory of God. Put on the robe of righteousness that comes from God. Put on your head the diadem of glory of the everlasting. For God will show your splendor everywhere under heaven. And in just a matter of weeks, a matter of days, that splendor will come to us in the face of a newborn child lying in a lonely manger in Bethlehem. Amen.